Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into The Plantagenets by Dan Jones, a captivating exploration into eight generations of English royalty that defined an era brimming with crusades, the establishment of the Magna Carta, and the inception of the Hundred Years' War. The House of Plantagenet's reign marks one of the most dramatic and formative periods in English history, brought to life through Dan Jones's engaging narrative. Dan Jones, a renowned British historian, journalist, and television presenter, possesses a remarkable ability to make history accessible and enthralling. With several acclaimed books under his belt, including The Hollow Crown, that seamlessly continues the narrative post-Plantagenets, Jones's expertise and storytelling prowess are undeniable. The Plantagenets is an essential read for anyone fascinated by the high stakes and intrigue of medieval history, providing Game of Thrones enthusiasts a real-world glimpse into the political machinations and battles that inspired the fictional tales they adore. It is a richly detailed account that promises to captivate lovers of history, offering insights into the dynasty that shaped medieval England. Join us as we uncover the legacy of the Plantagenets, a true saga of power, betrayal, and ambition that shaped the course of history. The Plantagenets, the warrior kings and queens who made England. Introduction. Embark on a journey through the highs and lows of medieval royalty. Behold the House of Plantagenet, a dynasty that shaped England into a formidable force in medieval Europe. Their story is one of stark contrasts, featuring rulers whose legacies are as varied as they are vibrant. From the heights of greatness to the depths of infamy, these kings wielded power with a mix of unbridled ambition, cunning, and sometimes outright brutality. Over 250 years spanning more than eight reigns, the Plantagenets turned a war-ravaged island into a structured, legislative powerhouse. Our voyage across time will unveil the intricate tapestry of the Plantagenet reign. It reads like a medieval epic, packed with audacious plots, treacherous alliances, and acts of ruthless aggression. With history as our guide, we'll delve into these compelling monarchs' lives, exploring how they managed to navigate the treacherous waters of royal lineage and diplomacy. As we proceed, you'll discover the curious origins of the Plantagenet name, linked not to a grand title or a piece of land, but rather to a fashionable hairstyle adopted by a young nobleman. This is just the first of many surprises that await. Additionally, will examine the precarious balance the Plantagenets maintained regarding their heirs. Too few could spell the end of a dynasty, yet too many could lead to internal conflict and fragmentation of power, often with devastating consequences. Finally, the importance of matrimonial alliances cannot be overstated. For the Plantagenet kings, keeping their queens content was more than a matter of domestic bliss. It was a strategic necessity. The stakes were high in these royal marriages, influencing not just the immediate family, but the fate of nations. So, fasten your seatbelts, for we're about to dive deep into an era where the drama of royal life unfolds against the backdrop of battles, betrayals, and the relentless quest for power. This is not just history, it's a lesson in the complexities of leadership 
and the enduring impact of lineage on the course of human events. Part 1. The Unlikely Dawn of the Plantagenet Line The tale of the Plantagenets begins in tragedy and hope in the year 1120, with England's King Henry I mourning the loss of his only son to the treacherous waters of the English Channel. In a desperate pivot to secure his legacy, Henry turns to his daughter, Matilda, to bear the weight of his dynasty's future. However, Matilda's prideful nature does little to woo the loyalty of England's barons, leading her father to cement her status through marriage to Geoffrey of Anjou, a man known as much for the bloom in his hair as for his lands and titles. The stage is set, and from this union, a name that would echo through the corridors of history, emerges the House of Plantagenet, named whimsically after Geoffrey's favoured flower, the Plantagenista. Despite the political ambition driving their marriage, Matilda and Geoffrey hardly see eye to eye. Yet they fulfil their dynastic duty with the birth of their son, Henry, in 1133. However, their hope for a smooth succession crumbles with King Henry Thirst's death as the barons set their sights on Matilda's cousin Stephen, bypassing Matilda in favour of a male successor. Stephen's reign proves to be anything but stable, his weak leadership thrusting England into a quagmire of chaos. This tumult, known darkly as the Anarchy, sees Matilda and Stephen locked in a fruitless struggle for the crown, with their conflict pulling England into a downward spiral of devastation and societal breakdown. In the midst of this turmoil rises a figure that would redefine the contours of English royalty, Matilda's son, Henry. A fiery redhead with a keen military mind, Henry begins to make his mark with audacious, though not always successful, forays into England from the age of 13. It is not just his battlefield exploits that draw attention. His strategic acumen hints at a promising future leader. Enter Eleanor of Aquitaine, a woman of significant influence and political savvy, recently divorced from the King of France for failing to curb her outspoken nature. In Henry, Eleanor sees not just a vibrant young leader, but also a kindred spirit. Their union, spanning significant territories and royal bloodlines, is poised not simply as a marriage, but as the foundation of what would become one of history's most storied dynasties. From the fragile threads of hope, ambition, and strategic alliances, the Plantagenet narrative is woven, marking the beginning of a dynasty that would weather the storms of rebellion, conquest, and the ever-persistent quest for power. This unlikely dawn of the Plantagenet line sets the stage for a tale of resilience, intrigue, and the complex interplay of personal ambition and political necessity. Part 2. King Henry II the crown's tumultuous grip. In the wake of the anarchy that had left England on its knees, Henry emerged as a beacon of hope in 1153, offering peace to a realm craving stability. His proposition to the war-weary barons, an end to hostilities in exchange for their support of his ascension to the throne, was met with open arms. By 1154, following Stephen's death, Henry was crowned King Henry II, greeted not just as a monarch, but as a saviour heralding a new era. King Henry II, alongside Queen Eleanor, 
set about fortifying their dynasty with remarkable efficiency. By Christmas of 1158, they showcased their prosperity with four young heirs, a move as strategically savvy as it was a gamble. The burgeoning Plantagenet lineage promised a clear succession, but also foreshadowed potential conflict within the royal ranks. Henry's reign was marked by military triumphs abroad in France, yet it was on English soil that some of his gravest challenges would arise. Among these was his complex relationship with Thomas Becket, Henry's confidant turned Archbishop of Canterbury. Hoping to strengthen the crown's influence over the church, Henry's appointment of Becket initially seemed a masterstroke. However, the king's expectations were quickly dashed as Becket, once elevated, aligned himself staunchly with ecclesiastical interests, distancing himself from his former ally. Becket's transformation from friend to formidable ecclesiastical authority frustrated Henry to such an extent that, in a moment of anger, he famously lamented the disloyalty he perceived around him. This rash outburst unwittingly inspired four knights, believing they were acting on Henry's behalf, to commit a heinous act, murdering the archbishop within the sacred walls of Canterbury Cathedral. The ramifications of this act were immediate and profound. Across Europe, shock and outrage followed the news that a king might be complicit in the murder of a church leader. Facing widespread condemnation, Henry found refuge only in the fringes of his empire, Ireland leaving his English realm in turmoil. Though Henry eventually returned to England, the shadow of Becket's murder lingered. Many speculated that divine retribution would befall the king for such a sacrilege. This ominous speculation seemed to manifest when, in a dramatic turn of familial betrayal, Henry's own wife and three eldest sons orchestrated a rebellion against him. Thus, King Henry II's reign though initially marked by hope and restoration, unfolded into a saga of ambition, betrayal, and the enduring complexity of medieval monarchic rule, revealing the perilous balance between the pursuit of power and the consequences of its misuse. Part 3. When Royal Ambitions Ignite a Powder Keg In the twilight of King Henry II's reign, the seeds of discord were sown with a seemingly innocuous decision, granting castles in France to his youngest son, John. This act of favoritism ignited jealousy in Henry's eldest, known as the Young King, and dissatisfaction in Eleanor, their mother, who felt marginalized from power. The discontent within the royal family quickly spiraled into open rebellion, with Eleanor orchestrating her son's revolt against their father. Initially, they sought sanctuary with the French king, a bold move that signaled the depth of their familial rift. Though Eleanor was captured and imprisoned by King Henry II, the rebellion itself fizzled out. Henry's seasoned military acumen and the loyalty of his forces quashed his son's insurrection with ease. Yet King Henry II's focus remained not on vengeance, but on consolidating his rule. He embarked on a campaign of fortification and legal reform that deeply embedded Plantagenet authority into the fabric of English governance. His actions during this period laid foundational stones for the future of English law and order. As Henry entered his later years, the spectre of succession loomed large. The death of his rival, King Louis VII of France, and the ascension of the young Philip II 
served as a poignant reminder to Henry's sons of the inevitable transition of power. The question of who would inherit Henry's throne became more pressing when the young king, once a contender, died prematurely. This left Richard, Henry's second son, next in line for the crown. Upon Henry II's death in 1189, Richard ascended to the throne and swiftly set about establishing his own legacy. Known for his martial prowess, he sought to elevate his status through military glory, eyeing the ongoing Third Crusade as an opportunity. Before departing, Richard faced two significant tasks, securing funds for his campaign and negotiating the tricky waters of his relationship with Philip II of France. In 1190, the two kings reached an agreement to embark on the crusade together, promising mutual support and pledging not to betray one another's interests. Yet, beneath the surface of this pact lurked mutual distrust, forged in the fires of past betrayals. Richard's preparation for the crusade, marked by aggressive taxation and recruitment, alongside his delicate alliance with Philip II, set the stage for a complex chapter in Plantagenet history. This era underscored the volatile interplay between royal ambitions, familial discord, and the quest for glory, leaving a lasting imprint on the annals of medieval governance and warfare. Part 4. From Crusader King to Family Betrayal. The Saga of Richard the Lionheart. Richard the Lionheart's tenure as king was fraught with conflict, ambition, and an unquenchable thirst for military glory. His journey, however, was complicated by strained relations with Philip II of France, stemming from Richard's abrupt severance of his engagement to Philip's sister and his aggressive, uncooperative tactics during the crusade. Richard's unilateral decisions and his poaching of Philip's mercenaries only deepened their rift leading Philip to abandon the Holy Land and head back to Europe, a decision that Richard metaphorically celebrated. Despite his prowess and zeal on the battlefields of the Crusade, Richard was caught off guard by alarming news in 1192. His own brother, John, was conspiring with Philip II to usurp the English throne. Realizing the threat this posed to his reign, Richard decided it was time to leave the Crusades behind and secure his kingdom. Yet Europe no longer offered safe passage for the English king. His aggressive policies and disdain for diplomacy had alienated much of the continent's nobility, culminating in his capture by the Holy Roman Emperor, Henry VI. Back in England, Richard's supporters rallied, amassing a colossal ransom that secured his release after a mere six months. Returning home, Richard was celebrated as a hero, but the shadow of betrayal lingered. Philip II, with John's collusion, continued to wage war on Plantagenet territories. Through a combination of military prowess and strategic negotiation, Richard managed to halt their advances, culminating in a truce with Philip II in 1199. Tragically, Richard's hard-fought peace was short-lived. An attempt to quell a minor rebellion ended with Richard suffering a fatal wound from a crossbow bolt resulting in his death at the age of 41. Europe reeled at the loss of such a formidable warrior and king, yet the prospect of his successor stirred deep concern. John, Richard's treacherous brother, was next in line for the throne, but many within the Plantagenet Empire favoured Richard's nephew, Arthur, over the dishonourable John. 
John's ascent to power was marked by acts of cruelty and fear-driven decisions, including the imprisonment and murder of young Arthur, a deed that amplified John's notoriety and precipitated his downfall among European allies. By 1203, John's inability to maintain the Plantagenet domain in Europe became evident as he abandoned Normandy and all continental claims, erasing nearly a century of painstaking territorial expansion within mere months. Richard the Lionheart's legacy thus extends beyond his crusader's zeal. It encapsulates the volatile dynamics of royal ambition, fraternal betrayal, and the fragile nature of power. Under John's rule, the Plantagenet Empire faced a rapid unraveling, a stark reminder of how quickly fortunes can shift within the annals of history. Part 5. Navigating the Turbulent Reign of Bad King John In a departure from the travels and battles that characterized his predecessors, King John found himself rooted in England, a reality that brought the nation face to face with the tumultuous nature of a Plantagenet ruler. Unlike many English monarchs before him, John exhibited an unusual interest in the judicial processes of his kingdom, attending trials and displaying a semblance of concern for the underprivileged. However, beneath this veneer of judicial diligence lay a savvy, if ruthless, strategy for bolstering the royal treasury. By exploiting the justice system, John turned fines and forfeitures into significant revenue streams, complementing this income with heavy taxes on movable goods. Yet, John's financial tactics did not end there. Notoriously, he targeted England's Jewish community, who were among the few permitted to lend money, subjecting those unable to fulfill his exorbitant demands to imprisonment and torture. Furthermore, John manipulated traditional rites of passage, such as knighting and marriage among the nobility, into opportunities to inflate charges or waive them capriciously stirring discontent among an already uneasy baronage. Armed with considerable wealth, John initially managed to quell rebellious sentiments across Wales, Scotland, and Ireland, regaining a measure of confidence lost in earlier debacles. Emboldened, he ambitiously aimed to reclaim territories on the continent from Philip II, a campaign that culminated in catastrophic defeat at the Battle of Bouvines in 1214. This humiliating loss, coupled with John's relentless financial pressures, sparked outrage among the barons, driving them to the brink of rebellion in demand of governance reform. John's attempt to preempt the barons' movements by launching an assault only served to spiral England into civil war once again. The conflict reached a climax when the barons captured London, forcing John into a position where negotiation was his only recourse. The historic meeting at Runnymede ensued, where both parties strove to delineate the limits of royal power. After arduous negotiations, a groundbreaking agreement emerged, Magna Carta. This document represented a monumental shift in the relationship between the crown and its subjects, stipulating that the king could no longer impose his will unilaterally, but must consult with the barons and adhere to the law. Thus, in the midst of his tumultuous reign, John unwittingly facilitated the establishment of a precedent for limiting monarchical authority, shaping the trajectory of English governance for generations to come. Part 6. The Tumult of Transition, from John to Henry III. In a twist befitting his notorious reputation, 
King John wasted no time in disregarding the freshly inked Magna Carta, plunging England once more into the grips of civil war. Yet, fate intervened in 1215, sparing the kingdom from prolonged strife by claiming John's life through dysentery. Despite his challenges in leadership, John's legacy found an unlikely redemption through Magna Carta, a document that not only put constraints on royal authority, but reshaped the monarchy's relationship with its subjects for generations. Its influence is undiminished, a testament to the pivotal moment it represents in the arc of English history. As the Plantagenet saga continued, the crown rested on the head of a youthful successor, Henry III, a mere boy of nine at his ascension. Bereft of paternal guidance, his reign became defined by a ceaseless quest for mentorship, a vulnerability that left him under the sway of the very royalist faction once loyal to his father. Henry's maturity into kingship was stifled by overbearing advisers and the baron's steadfast adherence to Magna Carta, ensuring his political endeavours were constantly checked. Despite these political entanglements, Henry demonstrated acumen in matters of royal pageantry, exemplified by his splendid marriage to a prominent French princess, a union celebrated with great fanfare. However, the political theatre was not solely reserved for the king. Henry's sister, entangled in a controversial and unexpected marriage to Simon de Montfort, stirred the pot of discontent among the barons, who eyed the alliance with suspicion and envy. This matrimonial drama paled, however, in comparison to the crisis ignited by Henry's ill-fated ambition to conquer Sicily, a venture deemed by the barons as foolhardy and a misallocation of resources. Frustration with the king reached a boiling point in 1258, when barons, in a bold display of defiance, commandeered control of the realm, signalling their intent to govern through a committee in lieu of the king's singular command. This move, however, fell short of establishing a lasting peace, as tensions escalated with the growing prominence of Simon de Montfort, now a formidable adversary to the crown. The brewing conflict culminated at the Battle of Lewis in 1264, where the king's son, Prince Edward, despite a valiant effort, could not secure victory for the royal cause. In a striking turn of events, the defeat not only elevated de Montfort to unparalleled political power, but also saw the young prince held captive. In this chapter of England's storied past, the threads of ambition, rebellion, and the quest for control weave a complex tapestry of leadership and legacy, illustrating the fragile equilibrium between royal authority and the will of the governed. The journey from John to Henry III underscores the transformative potential of political strife to redefine the nature of kingship and the course of history itself. Part 7. Edward Longshanks, the formidable king of transformation. Not long into his captivity, Prince Edward, soon to be celebrated as Longshanks due to his towering and robust frame, orchestrated a daring escape. His resolve unbroken, he rallied support from barons disenchanted with Simon de Montfort's rule. Their collective effort culminated in a decisive encounter on a bitingly cold battlefield at Evesham in 1265, where Edward emerged victorious, marking the grim end of de Montfort in the process. Edward's triumph at Evesham not only reinstated the Plantagenet sovereignty, but also underscored his complex persona. 
Known for his mercurial nature and the legendary Plantagenet fury, intense enough, by accounts, to have once frightened a man to death, Edward nonetheless was a family man at heart. His union with Eleanor of Castile proved both prolific and profound, blessing them with sixteen children. With England's internal rifts beginning to heal, thanks in part to his diplomatic endeavours, Edward's restless spirit yearned for the battlefield once again. His subsequent crusade in the Holy Land, though driven by a desire for martial glory, was cut short by news of his father's passing. Assuming the throne, Edward's coronation was a grand affair, befitting his larger-than-life stature and ambitions. Edward's reign, however, was quickly challenged by unrest in the West. Determined to quell the disruptive Welsh, he launched a formidable campaign in 1277, marked not only by military might, but by an architectural feat of constructing imposing castles within Wales. These fortresses, many of which stand to this day, bear testament to Edward's resolve to cement Plantagenet dominance across the region, culminating in the subjugation of Llywelyn, the last, the final native prince of Wales. Yet, Edward's aspirations knew no bounds. Turning his gaze northward, he aimed to subdue the Scots by placing a puppet monarch on their throne, a move that sparked fierce resistance and ignited open war between England and Scotland. But the challenges did not stop there. Tensions with France escalated, leading to a confrontation with King Philip IV. The situation deteriorated further with the formation of a Franco-Scots alliance in 1296 ensnaring Edward in a web of conflict across both fronts. As Edward entered the twilight years of his reign, the toll of continuous warfare weighed heavily upon him. Now in his sixties, he battled not only his adversaries, but his own concerns for the future, particularly the suitability of his son and namesake, Edward, as his heir. Amidst the trials of kingship, the spectre of succession loomed large, casting a shadow over the enduring legacy of Edward Longshanks, a king whose life was a tapestry of bold conquests, monumental achievements, and the perpetual challenge of legacy and lineage. Part 8. The Fall of Edward II. A Maelstrom of Favouritism and Rebellion. Edward II, inheriting his father's physical stature, unfortunately did not inherit his aptitude for kingship. Distracted by leisure and hampered by his tendencies towards favouritism, Edward's reign began on shaky ground. Central to the king's controversial rule was his relationship with Piers Gaveston, a charismatic French knight. Gaveston's influence over Edward, coupled with speculation about the nature of their relationship, sowed discord at the heart of the monarchy. Upon ascending the throne, Edward's decision to grant Gaveston the esteemed title of Earl of Cornwall was just the beginning of his contentious actions. This appointment incensed the barons, as did the overt display of favouritism at Edward's coronation, where Gaveston, not Edward's queen, Isabella of France, was adorned with honours. The symbolic intertwining of Edward and Gaveston's heraldry at the event was seen not only as a slight to the barons, but as a diplomatic affront to the French royal family. The baron's outrage culminated in the forced exile of Gaveston and the formation of a council known as the Ordainers to curb Edward's authority. 
This move underscored their deep mistrust in Edward's capacity to lead. The king's cousin, Thomas, Earl of Lancaster, rose as a key figure among the ordainers, setting the stage for further conflict. Edward's defiance in recalling Gaveston and dismissing the ordainer's authority plunged England back into turmoil. The subsequent capture and execution of Gaveston by the barons underscored the fractious state of Edward's reign. His grief at the loss of Gaveston was matched only by his resolve for retribution against Lancaster and his allies. In the wake of Gaveston's death, Edward's affections shifted towards the Dispenser family, who quickly became the new focal points of his favouritism. This shift would ignite yet another bout of warfare, culminating in the defeat and execution of Lancaster and his followers, a display of ruthlessness that only served to erode Edward's support further. As Edward's reign faltered under the weight of his decisions, a storm gathered that would challenge his power from an unexpected quarter. His wife, Isabella, long marginalised and humiliated, would emerge as a formidable adversary. Her actions would underscore the personal and political failures that marked Edward's reign, setting the stage for his eventual downfall. In a tale of unchecked favouritism, revenge and rebellion, Edward II's story is a stark reminder of the vulnerabilities that lie in the shadow of power. Part 9. From Rebellion to Reign the ascension of Edward III. In the turbulent swirl of 14th-century politics, Queen Isabella's fateful encounter with Roger Mortimer at the French court in 1325 set the stage for a dramatic upheaval. United by passion and ambition, they conjured a bold plan to dethrone King Edward II, marking a pivotal moment in the Plantagenet saga. Isabella, seizing a diplomatic mission as her cover, orchestrated a daring rebellion from the safety of her French sanctuary. With her son, the young Edward, at her side, she rejected calls for their return, instead rallying a formidable opposition against the beleaguered king. The support she garnered was overwhelming, leading to the swift toppling of Edward II's reign. The end for Edward II and the dispensers was both swift and brutal underscoring the merciless nature of medieval power struggles. Edward II's reluctant abdication paved the way for his son to ascend the throne as Edward III, albeit under the regency of Isabella and Mortimer. The young king's ceremonious coronation bore the marks of youth, yet hinted at a burgeoning ruler awaiting his turn to reshape the kingdom. However, the reign of Isabella and Mortimer was to be a temporary arrangement. Edward III, growing increasingly wary of Mortimer's influence and his mother's governance, orchestrated a cunning coup. The capture and subsequent execution of Mortimer in 1330 signalled the young king's readiness to claim his inheritance in full measure. Edward III emerged as an embodiment of Plantagenet valour and vision. Keenly aware of the necessity to foster loyalty among the nobility, he introduced a new echelon of peers, binding them closer to the crown. His prowess was not confined to the court alone. Edward's ventures into the lists and jousting fields, often incognito, charmed his subjects and solidified his image as a monarch of the people. Yet Edward's ambitions extended beyond domestic affairs and chivalric pursuits. His military acumen was soon put to the test in Scotland, where he scored a resounding victory at Halidon Hill in 1333. 
but the enduring Scottish resistance, buoyed by French support, prompted Edward to confront the underlying tension with France head-on. In a bold move that would define his reign, Edward arrived in Ghent in 1340 and proclaimed himself the rightful king of England and France. This audacious claim, rooted in his lineage through Queen Isabella, ignited the flames of the Hundred Years' War, a titanic struggle that would intertwine the destinies of England and France for over a century. Edward III's ascension from a pawn in a political revolt to a sovereign of immense influence and ambition marks a defining era in the Plantagenet dynasty. His reign, characterized by military prowess, courtly magnificence, and the strategic fortification of royal power, laid the groundwork for England's emergence as a formidable force on the European stage. Part 10. The Tides Turn. The Fall of the Plantagenets. The era of Edward III was marked by a series of triumphs that seemed to herald a golden age for England. Victories at Slyes and Crecy, the latter with the pivotal aid of his son, the Black Prince, showcased England's military dominance. The zenith of these achievements came with the capture of the French king at Poitiers, a clear sign of England's ascendancy on the European stage. Yet the wheel of fortune was about to turn for Edward and the Plantagenet lineage. The first harbinger of change came with the Black Prince's affliction with a debilitating illness during a campaign in Castile from which he never fully recovered. The subsequent death of Edward III's wife, Philippa, added to the king's personal tragedies. The once mighty monarch's decline into senility, coupled with the premature death of the Black Prince, left the young Richard II as the centerpiece of the Plantagenet future. Richard II's reign began with widespread adulation, setting the stage for his developing sense of infallibility. However, his volatile temperament and impulsive decisions led Parliament to strip him of power, echoing the fate that befell his predecessors. Richard's eventual revenge against those who opposed him, characterised by brutal executions, only intensified the discontent among the nobility. The political landscape shifted dramatically with the death of another of Richard's uncles, propelling Henry Bolingbroke, Richard's cousin and a formidable noble, into the spotlight. Viewing Henry's growing power as a direct threat, Richard's reaction was swift and severe, resulting in Henry's banishment. However, this decision would precipitate Richard's downfall. Henry Bolingbroke's return to England, coinciding with Richard's ill-advised campaign in Ireland, was the catalyst for a seismic shift in power. With the nation weary and Richard increasingly isolated, Henry's ascent was swift. By August 1399, he had effectively taken control, confining the isolated Richard to the Tower of London. Richard II's fall from grace marked the end of the Plantagenet era. His belief in the divine right of kingship, coupled with his failure to secure an heir, left a vacuum that Henry Bolingbroke was poised to fill. Thus, in a dramatic change of fortunes, Henry Bolingbroke ascended to the throne as Henry IV, inaugurating the House of Lancaster and closing the chapter on the Plantagenet dynasty. The rise and fall of Edward III and Richard II encapsulate the cyclical nature of power, ambition, and hubris. 
From unparalleled military victories to internal dissent and personal downfall, the final Plantagenets exemplify the transient glory of kingship and the ever-present potential for decline, a poignant reminder of the fragility of dynastic rule. Final Summary Our exploration through the ages draws to a rich and complex close, having traversed the tumultuous era of the Plantagenets. We embarked on this historical odyssey with Henry II, the architect of the Plantagenet dynasty, who emerged from the shadows of civil strife to lead England with a blend of wisdom and discord, notably clashing with the Archbishop of Canterbury and witnessing his family unravel. The baton was then passed to Richard I, known as the Lionheart, whose reign was largely characterized by prolonged absences due to crusades and captivity, straining his connection to English soil. Following him, the notorious Bad King John ascended to the throne, only to squander continental territories and provoke the ire of his barons, a rebellion that culminated in the sealing of Magna Carta, a testament to his tumultuous rule. His successor, Henry III, found himself ensnared in a similar web of contention with the barons, struggling to navigate the stormy waters of governance and legacy. The narrative then unfolded to reveal the Edwards. Firstly, Edward I, whose ambition and might led to the conquest of Wales, asserting his authority in a manner befitting a medieval monarch. Edward II, in stark contrast, was remembered for his perceived weaknesses and dependence on favourites, a reign mired in turmoil. Edward III, however, restored the luster of Plantagenet rule, achieving military glory across Scotland and France, embodying the pinnacle of the Plantagenet ideal. The final chapter of this dynastic saga belonged to Richard II, a king of princely demeanour, but marred by caprice and antagonism, ultimately deposed by Henry Bolingbroke. This moment marked the close of the Plantagenet chapter, giving rise to the age of the Lancasters, led by Henry Bolingbroke as Henry IV, ushering in a new lineage to guide England's destiny. Our journey through the Plantagenet reign unveils a tapestry of leadership, valor, and vulnerability, encapsulating the undulating fortunes of a dynasty that shaped the medieval landscape. From foundational laws to the fates of monarchs, the legacy of the Plantagenets continues to echo through history, a compelling narrative of power, ambition, and the eternal quest for governance. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then. Happy reading and happy listening.